Well, welcome, welcome online, everybody in the room. God is doing great things in this house. And we are kicking off a series. Last week was the kickoff. It was an overview. Please go back and listen to it if you missed it. It is so important because the topic in the series that we're in is called Good Gifts, Bad God. And what we're talking about comes right out of Romans chapter 1, verse 25. And I want to dive into that today. And then we're going to look at a specific way that this situation plays out in our lives. Romans chapter 1, verse 25. They traded the truth about God for a lie. So they worshiped and served the things God created instead of the creator himself, who is worthy of eternal praise. Amen. So years ago, when my youngest daughter, Georgia, was maybe not even quite two years old, she got an ear infection or some sort of infection. I don't even really remember. And off we went to the doctor, and the doctor did what a doctor does and gave her a prescription. We took this prescription home, this antibiotic, and sure enough, as she took her prescription, she began to get better. And we were on the very last of the doses. I think it was dose 19 out of 20. And she was doing so well. And I put that little baby Georgia down in her crib to take her daily nap. And Georgia was happy and thriving and down in her crib. And then I went back to her crib to wake her up only to find something shocking. Her entire body had broken out in a rash. And this wasn't a normal rash. I had seen rashes. This was a raging rash. I immediately gave her Benadryl, immediately called the doctor, and it began to grow worse and worse as the hours progressed. We went to the doctor's office. They gave us a diagnosis, gave us a prescription. It didn't get better. Over the next three days, we were at the ER. We were at multiple doctor's visits, receiving multiple misdiagnoses. Her little body was swelling. Her little body had fever, and nothing was helping. If you were a mom or a dad in the room, you know the feeling. You know that feeling of helplessness. We were trusting God and calling out to him, but we can't fix our baby. So the next morning, I remember waking up and asking God, God, what do we do? And the thought came to me, call your pediatric dermatologist. So I did, never expecting to get in because he's three months out always, anybody? And so it was a miracle. I call on the phone and they must have heard my voice, the desperation in my voice over the phone. And sure enough, they got me in the same morning. And come to find out, he was on a plane to go to a conference that afternoon. So it was a miracle. So we come in, and I bring my baby, Georgia. And it was like as soon as we entered in the building, everything began to stir. And you know how an artist might look at a fine piece of art? That doctor came in, and he's great. And I know he was trying to hide his excitement. But he looked at Georgia, and he starts getting his colleagues to come in the room. He wants them to see. He pulls out this huge textbook thud, puts it on the table, starts flipping them the pages. He's showing me pictures, and he's trying not to smile. And he's like, I know what this is, serum sickness-like reaction. And he's showing me the pictures, and I'm saying, that sounds terrible, but I'm so glad you know what it is. And sure enough, he diagnosed her correctly, gave her treatment, and her body healed. Why? Because this doctor knew how to diagnose her. He knew the treatment plan, and he was willing to do it. Today, let me tell you, 
that we have a God who is the great physician and he knows what is wrong with us. He knows how to accurately diagnose what's going on in your life and he has the treatment plan and guess what? He's willing to heal you. He is the great physician. He is, give him praise. And so when you and I read a verse like Romans 1.25, understand that in this book, all throughout it, there are diagnostic verses. Verses where the good physician says, here is what is wrong with you. And Romans 1.25 is a life verse for me because it explains so much of what I have battled and what I still battle. In Romans 1.25, go back and listen, but what we see is that as people, there's a sick pattern that plays out in our soul where we take truth any and all truth that God has revealed in this word, we take truth and we exchange it for a lie. And when you and I exchange the truth of God for a lie, what happens next is our worship follows. We begin to worship things God created instead of the God, the creator himself. Exodus 20 verse three says, you must not have any other God but me. You must not make for yourself an idol of any kind or an image of anything in the heavens or on the earth or in the sea or on your screen or in your bed or on your plate or in your bank account. You must not bow down to them or worship them for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God who will not tolerate your affection for any other gods. What is he saying here? God is talking about our worship. We need to understand what our worship is because all of us worship. Worship is our response to that which we supremely value and love the most. It's a reverence, it's an utmost adoration. You are the source of my needs. You are the source. And here's something interesting about our worship is that worship is happening inside your heart all the time. You cannot flip worship on and off like a light switch. Worship is always on. The question is, who's it directed toward? Worship is how you and I were created. And in that passage we just read, God says, I created worship for me and me alone. When I created you, worship was actually a gift and a way for you and I to have relationship like none other. Worship is God's intimate desire to relate with you and me. And it is the way we, the created, respond in affection towards our creator. But when I hear God say, don't make idols of any kind, and maybe you know, I mean, maybe I'm naive, but when I first heard that, I was like, idols, idols, you know, what is that? I mean, is that like a little figurine or maybe a little Buddha? Is that like a strange religion? That didn't really apply to me. Maybe it's people worshiping grasshoppers. I don't know. Some people think that like people, family members come back in an animal form and you got your cow outside and like Aunt Bertha, she's back. I mean, I don't know. But I often would think that doesn't really apply to me, worshiping idols. But the reality is an idol is anything that sets on your heart other than God. Whatever is sitting on the throne of your heart that is not God, that is an idol anything, anyone, and you point to a desire in your life. Point to anything that you need, and I'll show you a possible idol. No, I'll show you a probable idol. This is what we do. It's this pattern that plays out where we go to good gifts, things God created, and we elevate them to God-like status. And you need to know something else about worship. Worship, it is a supernatural activity. So when we worship God, 
We are connecting with supernatural almighty God. And you know who God is? God's the God that looks at your life and says, I have good plans for you. I know the plans I have for you. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you, to give you a hope and a future. But when we worship a false God, we are partnering with the demonic. And the demonic has a very different agenda and plan for your life to steal, to kill, and to destroy. Our worship is critical. It impacts everything. And so today, as we understand worship, there's so many, a million ways that we raise up idols in our life. But today, we're gonna look at one particular gift. And I believe it's one of God's greatest gifts to us. But it is also one of the absolute worst false gods. It's the gift of people. We're gonna look at the gift of people You, me, our relationships, the love we share between us, the gift of people. Maybe someone in here, you might ask yourself, why do I have such a longing for relationships? What is it inside of me that desires connection with other people? And I believe there's a whole spectrum represented in this room. I believe there are those of us who are consumed with the longing for relationship with others. Your loneliness is right there and it's so painful in your life. I believe there's others of us, we've cut that off a long time ago. People hurt us, people disappointed us, I don't need anyone, and when it comes to relationships, we just feel numb. You need to understand God created you for relationship. He created you and me for connection, for community, for love with others. It's his design. And if you go back to Genesis, and we go there often, before sin screwed it all up, In Genesis 1, we see God creating, creating, creating. He was creating the sun, the moon, the stars, the animals that scurried on the ground. And what did he say after everything created? You know what it is. After he would create something, he would say, it is good. It is good. He'd create something wonderful and say, it is good. And then all of a sudden, we come to a screeching halt in Genesis 2.18. Then the Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. It is not good for us to be alone. God said it, it is fact. Do you know that you being alone was never his plan and idea for you? The aloneness that we feel, that is not God's heart for us. I'm so thankful that the passage didn't stop there. God wasn't done creating. Genesis 2:18. the Lord said it's not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper who is just right for him. We don't have to control it. We don't have to force it. The same God who put the stars in the sky, who paints our sky every day with a sunrise and a sunset, that same God, no human did that. We know no man did that in the sky. That same God created relationships, created marriage, created family, We don't have to redesign the definitions because God already defined them. God created us and we can rest in the fact that he knows and he has a wonderful plan. Real relationships, people are a good gift from God, but they make really bad gods. So how do you and I know if I'm worshiping others? How do I know if I've elevated somebody in my life or people in my life? to a God-like status. How do I know this? We're gonna go on a journey to discover that, and I believe it's gonna free somebody today. If you'll have ears to hear, and you'll open your heart to God, he wants to free you from something. Lift some lids in your life. 
Jeremiah 17 gives us much information. And I'm thankful God is a God who gives us illustrations. Anybody else visual? I just appreciate visual things. Yes, visual people. All the rest of you don't need help. You know it. Okay, good for you. I need visuals. Jeremiah 17, verse 5. This is what the Lord says. Cursed are those who put their trust in mere humans, who rely on human strength and turn their hearts from the Lord. They are like stunted shrubs in the desert, visual imagery, with no hope for the future. They will live in the barren wilderness in an uninhabited, salty land. But blessed are those who trust in the Lord and have made the Lord their hope and confidence. They are like trees planted along a riverbank with roots that reach deep into the water. Such trees are not bothered by the heat or worried by long months of drought. Their circumstances may be hard around them, but they are rooted in something greater. They, they survive it and they thrive it. Their leaves stay green, it says, and they never stop producing fruit. One of the fastest ways we can take a self-check, a heart check, is to ask ourselves this question, in whom do I place my trust? In whom? Who do I place my trust in? When it comes to trusting, my desires will be met. Do I go to you or do I go to God? When I'm trusting my needs to be met, or maybe I'm trusting in my identity, who am I? Do I say, God, who do you say I am? Or do I go to the culture to define who I am? Who am I, God? Am I okay, God? Who do we place our trust in? For me to be happy, do I place that in the hands of God or do I demand it out of you? In whom do we place our trust? You and I cannot put our trust in mere humans as our source and at the same time trust in God. They are mutually exclusive. And it doesn't mean people don't cause us pain. They will the closest people that we love the most will grieve us the most, won't they? It's not that we're not hurt and that we don't hurt others, but I am rooted in Christ and at the end of the day, I trust in him for my well-being. Oh God, let that be true of all of us. Who do we place our trust in? When you and I allow people to sit on the throne of our hearts, the results are devastating. Marriages divorce, friendships end, Families are fractured, we lose our jobs, we lose our minds. We were not created to place our trust in mere people and it's devastating the consequences, our hearts are broken. Why, why all this devastation? It's because only a true God can carry the weight of my needs, my hopes, my dreams, my desires. Only a true God can do that. My friends cannot shoulder the weight of what I want. My husband will never have enough skills to be as great as I need him to be. My children, they will disappoint me. I'll wear out my employees. I'll wear out my boss because they were not built to carry the weight of my worship. They can't hold it. No, longer, no wonder so many of our relationships are drained because we place things on them, try to suck things out of them that they can't provide. God, help us. How do we avoid this deadly pattern? It's so destructive to our relationships and to our own souls. How do we avoid this deadly pattern? I wanna look at several things that I believe today. I'm sure it's not exhaustive list, but I believe these will help us, again, to take a self-check. And when I think about sickness and I think about illness, you know, we use thermometers 
to gauge our body temperature. Our body temperature has a healthy 98.6 is somewhat the goal. And when we begin to elevate and our temperature begins to rise, that thermometer says, hey, you have a fever. But the fever is often not the illness. It's a symptom of the illness. And so as we look at some of these symptoms of where we have misplaced our worship, let it be a way for you to check yourself. Am I falling into this trap of worshiping a false god? So here's some symptoms. And if you're taking notes, I hope you are. Get ready to write fast. But here are some symptoms. One, our relationships are out of order. To experience rich relationships, we have to get first things first. And often we get things out of order. In Matthew 22, Jesus was walking on earth and someone said to him, Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? And here's what he said. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. This is the first And second, equally important, love your neighbor as yourself. All of the law is summed up by those two commands. Love God first, love your neighbor second. Understand that when God is our first love, we're able to love others and ourselves well. It's the only way. And today, I don't know where you are in your love relationship with God, but I would ask you, honest question, do you love Jesus first? Be honest with yourself. I mean, you made it to church. Why not do some business with God? You're here. Do you? Do you love Jesus first? I believe someone in here, you showed up, you're checking out the God thing. Maybe you said yes to someone. You're still wondering, why did I say yes? But you're here. And God is knocking on the door of your heart because you don't yet know Jesus as Lord and Savior. You've not accepted the gift of salvation and friendship that Jesus offers to you with your creator. And I wanna urge you, my friends, that God has you here in this moment and he offers his nail-scarred hand to you. He hung on a cross, he shed his innocent blood to cover every last sin in your life, every last mistake that we've all made, all of our guilt, all of our shame. Jesus covered it by paying for it with his own death on the cross. And he is alive again. God raised him out of that grave. And what he says is if you'll believe that, If you'll take him at his word, you can enter into a relationship with God where you are covered, you are clean, you are righteous before God. And you are his friend, his family. It's as simple as a prayer of faith today. I pray you won't leave here without making that decision. For many others of us, you have that relationship, you made that decision. At camp, you guys were all just diving into worshiping God. But my question is, are you in line with God today? Are you close to him or is he more like a distant relationship? God says, come back, come back, first things first. When Adam and Eve were walking on the, on the, in the world, when Adam was the first person there, his first relationship was God. His very first relationship was God. God has a plan for our lives. And we need to know the blueprint because he also has a plan and a priority for our human relationships. God has a blueprint. If you go back to the beginning again, you don't see God begin with the first group of people being Adam and the dudes. It's not Eve and her girls night out crew. That's not how it began. It's not a single mom with her children. God instituted the very first relationship as a husband and a wife. God gave us the institution of family and it was the first institution that allows us to thrive. God defined it. 
God created it. And when we understand that, that it's for this reason a man will leave his mother and father and cleave to his wife, that we understand that God is our first relationship and that that relationship between a husband and a wife is the priority human relationship. And after that, it's our children as we care for them, as they're under our care. Our family, the Bible says, take care of your parents as they age. And you know what? He doesn't stop there. As if that's not enough blessing in a person's life. But God gives us friendship. Rich, beautiful friendship when it's done his way. But we've gotta be people that say, Lord, help me trust your prioritization. Help me trust how you order our relationships. That means I'm gonna schedule my time in such a way where I observe your authority, God. I'm not gonna dismiss my spouse as I hang out with the guys. I'm not gonna ignore my responsibilities in caring and loving my husband or my kids by going and being with all these other people. God, help us to prioritize and follow and trust your awesome plan. And know this, prioritizing relationships does not mean you love people less. I think when we follow God and we trust his design, we love people better. We love them better. The love we have to give is more real. I'm not trying to get something from you. All right, second way, second way that we can know, wait, this is a symptom of misplaced worship. We give credit to people rather than God. Credit to people rather than God. And that may start with ourselves, where we think, I am awesome. (laughs) And I'm not saying you degrade yourself. You should love yourself. God says, love your neighbor as yourself. We should love ourselves. But we begin to go through all the ways that we have led to our own success or how we have made ourselves so awesome. And we begin to attribute it to our skills, to our abilities, to our talents, to our hard work, whatever it might be. Or we turn to the people around you. We turn to the people around us and we say, you are the reason. We give credit to them. When in reality, it is God and God alone. Bible says, do not be deceived. Every good gift comes down from God the Father above. Every good gift, it's from him. Don't be deceived. That doctor, I admire and respect and I'm so thankful for his knowledge, but God's the one who gave him that knowledge and opened the doors for me to walk in that day. I know to whom to give credit. We've gotta give credit where credit is due, number three. Another way that we misplaced our worship, and this is a big one, we're willing to break God's design to get it. Whatever I desire, I'm willing to break what God says to get it. I'll exchange the truth for a lie and I'll follow my heart. I desire to fit in with you. I wanna fit in with this group of people, so I'll gossip. They're doing it. It's normal for me to gossip, I'll gossip. Or maybe I desire to feel adored, and so I begin to fantasize about somebody else's spouse, and I'm willing to break God's design in my own heart, in my own mind. Or maybe I want you to approve of me, and so I'm gonna tell you white lies, because I don't want you to know the truth, and it's no big deal, and I give myself all the excuses, but I'm willing to break God's design to get what I want, a million ways we do it. Watch out for that trap, number four. We put people on pedestals. We raise them up to places that only God should reside. This can look a million ways, but what happens when we do this with other people is we put people in a position of an ideal and forget that they're a human being, they're a person. 
We do this with so many. And here's the deal. We should give honor. We should give respect. It's a godly thing to honor one another. And we are good to appreciate seeing someone succeed or do great things. That is a way of loving and honoring one another. But we understand that everybody walks with feet of clay. Everybody walks with the same challenges and temptations and sin on the inside. When we understand that, we love one another better instead of setting people up for a mighty fall and our own hearts for great resentment. So number five, another way we misplace our worship is we become needy in our relationships. That was the verse that we just read about the shrubs. We suck people dry. We're called to love others, adore our spouse, cherish our children, be so grateful for our friendships. We need to invest. We need to invest in the things that matter in our lives. But if I need you as the source for me to be okay, if I need you and I go to you as the source to make me happy. You are my source. If you are not there, then I am nothing. I am, I am upset. I cannot function. I'm not going to be okay. Or maybe it's just a lot more common where I'm just gonna be bitter. I'm just gonna cut you off. I'm gonna move on to the next person. Maybe they'll meet my needs. It's all subconscious, but it's playing out. And the symptoms of me going needy, there's many. We get demanding. You should, you must, you will. We get demanding, it's never enough because they never can fulfill it. And then we get manipulative. We get critical of what they're doing. We manipulate with guilt and shame. Maybe we cry and use our tears as a weapon to get what we want. Or this is a sneaky one. Maybe I serve you, I'm gonna serve you. But what you don't know is on the inside, there's strings attached. And I'm serving you, but I'm asking myself, what are you gonna do in return? So many ways that this neediness gets inside of us and we begin to place people in a position of Messiah. I need you to fix me. I need you to save me. I need you to make me okay. And there is only one Messiah. The false God will never do this for us. Number six, when we need people in this way, if I need you, I will eventually fear you. I'll fear you. Now you may be in here and you would say, I'm not afraid of anybody. They'll take you on right now. I'm just fine. I, you know, you may not think to yourself, oh, I fear people. But fear comes in many forms. Fear can come in the form of, will you leave me? I fear that you'll abandon me. I feel that fear that you'll reject me. I fear that you'll disapprove of me. I fear that your actions in some way could cause me harm. There's so many ways that we fear one another. And Proverbs 29, 25 exposes this as a trap. And God says to us, fearing people is a dangerous trap, but trusting the Lord means safety. When we fear people, it's like a siren going off that we have a worship problem. When I fear you, I have laid down my worship at a different altar. And here's the truth. If I need you, I will fear you. And if I fear you, I will eventually hate you. I was talking to this wonderful woman and she was sharing with me some challenges going on in her life. And she's a woman who has great compassion for people who are in hard places. If she perceives that you have less than she has or you're going through a hard time, her heart is so big. But she shared with me that she is utterly crippled with fearing other people's approval and their thoughts about her. So much so that she says it paralyzes her. 
She doesn't like to meet new people. She stays away from groups. And she began to share this with me and I said, if you fear people like this, you will eventually hate them. She kind of got blustered and was, I don't hate it. I love people. I see people. I love people. And I said, well, but you just told me that when you walk into a room, you're assuming other people's thoughts about you and you're saying in your head things like, she thinks I'm ridiculous. She just thinks I am less than her. She's sitting here judging me. But in reality, you're judging all of them. She began to cry. And she began to cry tears of joy that the Lord had given revelation. And I circled back with her days later, and I want you to hear what came out of her mouth. So powerful. She said this. It was this aha moment. She said, I wasn't aware until you said it out loud. It was eating me up. But in a moment, this ugly place was revealed and brought to the surface, and now I can start healing. Instead of me being ashamed, she had been walking in shame. Every room she walked into, she felt shame. Now I'm able to not be ashamed, but work on this. She and God are going to work, and freedom is coming her way. We cannot fear people. It is a dangerous trap, but those who trust in the Lord, there will be safety. And finally, another way, another way that we misplace our worship, number seven, we use people. We do it. Often we don't realize it. Sometimes we're very well aware of it. We have a plan on the inside. But we use one another for status. We use somebody else for our own self-esteem. We use somebody for our pleasure. You make me laugh. I'm bored. You're fun. You feel good. Whatever it is until you no longer bring me pleasure and I'll move on to the next person in my quest. We use one another for provision. That relationship, that person, it's a means to an end. And God says, no, that is not my heart. I called you to love others, not use them. When we see people as people who get us where we want to go, we've fallen into misplaced worship. All these and more are symptoms of when I make you my little G, God, and it brings devastation. So how, God help us, how do we get our worship right? I believe in this room there's some of us and you're saying, I've already messed it up. I look over the landscape of my life and if I were looking at all my relationships, they are devastated or they are rocky or I am lonely. I don't even know where to begin. I feel so lost. Let me tell you, God is the God. You know what he does? He raises dead things. Our God raises dead things. So your relationships may be DOA, but God says that's the kind of thing I love to put my hand on and to raise up. And if you'll put your trust in Jesus today, take him by the hand, reset, walk with him again. He will begin to breathe life into how you love others and how you receive love from them. Could we trust him? And that begins by confession. I believe someone today, God is pricking your spirit. That's the Holy Spirit. You need to feel honored that he cares. Enough to prick your spirit like a good doctor would, revealing the space, making you sick. Confess it. Oh God, this is an area where I have bowed my head to another. Fill in the blank with a name. This is a person that I have put in a position only you can fill. God, I confess that to you today and then repent. Oh God, help me turn and go the other direction. Help me begin walking with you and walk away from that false God. And not cut people off, walk away from the relationship. By walking away from false worship, we're able to turn around and love them well. Love them correctly. 
And finally, worship the Lord your God. Worship him. This whole series, we're talking about worship. Church, let's do it. There's many ways to worship God. You can worship him changing a diaper with a joyful heart. You can worship him doing your laundry or going to your job and doing your job well, all to the glory of God. You can worship him by being faithful to your wife. There's a million ways we worship God, but one of the ways is we praise him in his sanctuary. We praise him in the house of God and we lift our hands in spirit and in truth. We mean it. And we worship him. And so I thought it's so fitting that today we're gonna end like that. But I wanna tell you, if you're battling worshiping people, you are not alone. So I accepted Jesus as my Lord and Savior when I was seven years old. I grew up in a home where I knew my daddy loved me. I knew my mom loved me. My parents loved Jesus. They had me in the house of God when I was in the womb. I think we were there Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, sometimes Tuesday visitation, as I recall. <laughs> I, was, I grew up in God's house. I learned about Jesus. And at age seven, I remember so well when I was in that church service and my heart began to pound, that little girl, and I understood that Jesus loved me and understood he died for my sin and I wanted him to be my Lord and Savior. And I got up out of my seat and my legs trembling, I walked down that aisle toward the altar and I gave my life to Christ. And I remember it and it was real for me. And then I remember my childhood years were so sweet. I thankfully did not experience trauma in my life. My parents were faithful, not perfect, but so loved Jesus and pointed us to him. So I grew up in a great childhood and then I hit my teen years and my focus began to change. My focus became my friends, having fun, that cute boy that thought I was cute. I just described about every teenager in America, right? These desires that we have and these desires that I have for friends, for fun, for the cute boy who thought I was cute, those desires were not wrong, but I made them wrong. I began to focus on these things and rather than going to God and asking him to help meet the desires of my heart his way, I decided to take control because I wasn't quite sure he could handle it. As I started out in dating, I began really desiring to date God's way. But over time, little by little, my desire to be loved, my desire to have affection and to feel cared for and loved in that way became stronger than my desire to follow God. And I began to break God's design. And there was a season of time where for years I would not talk to God. I wouldn't pray to God. The only time I would pray to God was at church camp. At church camp I would pray, it'd last about two weeks and then I'd walk away again. Oh students, don't allow it in your life. Don't allow it in your life. God is an everyday relationship. Church camp infuses us with passion but let it walk with you every step after. Follow him. And so I wasn't talking with him. Fast forward, it's my sophomore year in college. I've been betrayed by said guy, said boyfriend, and I found myself alone for the very first time in a really long time. And I wasn't reading my Bible. I didn't understand false worship. All I knew was I was in horrific pain. And you know, it doesn't take trauma in our life for sin to destroy us. Sin is strong enough. And so I remember 
being in my dorm room and just crying and weeping. And what's so wild is as I look back, I wasn't a counselor then. I didn't understand what was going on with me. But now what I understand is that in that, that sophomore year, that first semester, I was experiencing a nervous breakdown. So much so it began to affect my body physically. And I began to have these whelps form on the outside of my body. And I began to have a rash all over my body. And I remember I couldn't stop itching and I would scratch morning to night, no relief, tormented in my mind, lonely in my soul, physically reacting. I would scratch so hard that my skin would bleed. I went to multiple doctors, what is wrong with me? And they would run tests and all these things trying to figure it out and finally one doctor looks at me and says, your results are normal. This is a psychosomatic illness. What is the stress going on in your life? And now I understand Psalm 32.3 was playing out in me. When I refused to confess my sin, my body wasted away and I groaned all day long. My physical body was responding to the crash of my false god and the sin in my life. So I just got on my knees before God. And at that time, I, didn't, I wasn't interested in punching the Christian card, like I wanna be good Susan that goes to church. No, God, if you're real, if you can help me, here I am. And I began to ask God to help me love him, to help me follow him, to free me from this suffering. I knew I'd done it to myself. And little by little, God began to heal my heart I began to open my Bible and I wish the story stopped there that I could say everything was great from there. But here's the problem and listen up. In one hand, I grab my, my Bible and at the exact time in the other hand, I grabbed food. And food became the source when I was sad. And food became the source when I was bored. And food became that friend that I would go to. And food is a really bad friend. Food is a good gift, but food is a bad God. And it kicked off a four-year addiction that became a full-blown eating disorder where I was trapped in the vicious cycle of overeating and weighing on the scale 10 times, 15 times a day, tormented in my mind, couldn't break free. Looked pretty okay on the outside. The inside of me was a wreck. Yet I would crawl back to God Failure after failure, Lord, here I am again. And I want you to know, the Lord the whole time was there. The whole time offered his hands to me. The whole time loved me, even when I may look so unlovable. I'm the one that walked away from him. He never moved. Yet he stood there, arms open wide. And sometimes freedom comes in an instant, but many times freedom is a journey. And mine was a journey. And I wanna tell you, it's very fitting with what we're about to do today. But as I point back to my road of healing, many of the milestone moments happened at an altar. I would be in a room like this and God would stir in my heart knowing I was just broken on the inside and I would walk just like that. Seven-year-old girl receives salvation. I would walk back, God, give me your freedom, your healing. And I can't tell you when it happens, because freedom came softly for me, but the day that I didn't think about food all day, I was like, that's weird. And then a week went by, I didn't think about food this week. I didn't weigh on a scale. But I was still so scared because addiction and false gods, they're like a monster in the closet and you're scared they're gonna come out at any time. And then a month went by and I said, God, 
God, I'm free. You healed me. You restored what the locusts have eaten in my life. You're showing me how to love others your way and run to you to meet the deep needs in my heart. And he's still freeing me even now. So what I want to do is in a moment, I'm going to pray over us, but I want to offer you an opportunity for a moment with God that is unique, that is special. And we're going to worship in a moment, responding back to God, but we've made this altar open. And there won't be prayer team to receive you, but there will be an altar open for you to come and just stand before God and pray. Get on your knees and pray. If you wanna get on your knees and turn around in your chair where you are, do that. I just ask that you move and respond to God. For some of you, it's like me. You're coming to God saying, God, I need your freedom. God, I need you to heal me. God, I have run and I wanna turn back to you. Today is your moment. Those altar moments for me, God brought healing. He will meet you at the altar. For others of you today, you love Jesus, and you just wanna worship him with freedom. Come and get on your knees, humble yourself, and worship God in freedom. And particularly on this day, don't let what somebody else thinks of you hold you back for the love. We just talked about it. Just do whatever God tells you to do. So church, will you stand to your feet? Will you prepare your heart to respond? If you will draw near to God, he will draw near to you. And in this moment, he's prepared an altar to draw near to you. God, I thank you for every person. I thank you for your love for us. I thank you that you're moving in this moment. And someone is desperate for an encounter with you today. Someone is gonna lay down their idol today. No more false worship today. Someone is filled with joy how you forgave them and they just wanna come and get on their knees and praise your name in your house today. God, wherever we are, Jesus, move among us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Church, just move as God leads you. Just make this personal. Move in this room. The altar's open. God, we just wanna get on our face before you, Lord. We need your presence, Jesus. We thank you for loving us, Father. I know it's a long walk from the very back of the room, but it's a walk worth taking to get in the presence of God. Something happens. Faith is activated when we move. Faith without works is dead. There's something about faith stirring within us, and when we move in response, we're saying, God, I'm in. And this is a moment where God is calling you to move. Fill the aisles up and down. Oh, God, hear our hearts. In the name of Jesus.